it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large, big gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks man. How are you? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. Yes, yes. Do you want to know something fun? What's that? Still three and a half weeks of the season left. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. You didn't think that, did you? Three, I mean, when you put it like that, three and a half. That's a lot of weeks. Well, I had 30 days have set to May. So we've got 13 days left in May. Mm. When's the Champions League final? June, June 10th. So there you go. 22 days, 23 days, sorry, left. Of ah, the domestic season. That's manageable. I don't think I'll be pulling any muscles in that time. Not from podcasting. Not sitting <laughs> in one chair, no. No, no. <laughs> no, you won't. No. All good though? Any books yes. out this week? <laughs> any fellowships that you... <laughs> Undeclared fellowships. <laughs> Musa is joining the rebooted Fellowship of the Ring. He's listened to Gandalf, his silly high friend, at a party, and he's going to go off and do a what, very dangerous adventure. I could do a job. I could do a job in Mordor. I tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you're the only. You're the only person that when they pull up to Mordor, the eye actually, like Sauron's eye, actually just kind of does an raised eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm literally like. Mm. All eyes on, all eyes on me. <laughs> all eye on me. Actually, on I, was, me. I, I saw a, I saw a two pack T shirt the other day with all eyes on me, and I nearly bought it for you. Oh, you should have. Oh man. Oh. Well, well I feel bad now. I'll go and get it. I'll go <laughs> back and get it next time. <laughs> uh, can we do some quick admin? Because uh, well, first of all, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are in the world. I uh, got big righty's house news. It's yeah, what's that? So it's 
the hugest news of all time. Oh my goodness. Friday's Writer's House in the studio no. will be Ian, myself, and Florence. Oh my goodness. The anticipation. And <laughs> Chris Ryan. No, 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 no. And we're doing a succession episode. He's we're going to joining- talk about the final season of Succession and we're going to talk about some stuff. We asked for questions from the Writers House account. So if you haven't, go and check the Writers House account on Twitter. Reply with a question. We had some good ones already. Um, that's a great get. I mean, listen, that's royalty. Ring a royalty. Chris Ryan. Chris True. Ryan in the studio for the for his first ever Writers House. Audacious crossover. So hyped. You won't get him out of there. <laughs> oh, just, just that's a great lineup. That's I'm, awesome. I can't wait. I'm so hyped. And uh, yeah, it's gonna. In the words of Kendall, it's the full fucking thing. It's gonna be epic. <laughs> uh, don't forget to get counter pressed uh, for all your women's football needs. I imagine there'll be some uh, some WSL chat today. Arsenal got another injury. In fact, let's talk about it now quickly. Arsenal beat Everton uh, yesterday, oh. but um, Leia Volti with a horrible injury on her ankle. Um, oh, they beat Everton four one too. away. Yeah, um, but uh, a nasty, nasty injury. Arsenal injuries this year. Yeah, Agnes Beaver Jones got sent off for the red. Um, mm. She released. She looked. She looked really upset that she'd obviously like hurt Leah Volti and released a statement mm. on online afterwards, just being you know what I'm saying that I'm not that kind of player kind of thing. Uh, and she's only she's only nineteen, so I think. Um, I mean, actually, ironically enough, she sounds like she's actually not that kind of. No, player. I know. Yeah, this yeah. is the thing. But with the with the midweek games, because Chelsea beat West Ham four 0 as well yesterday, mm. it means yeah. that everyone has now played twenty games. We have two games left of the season in the WSL. Chelsea are top on fifty two points. Manchester United second on fifty points. Arsenal third on forty seven points. Chelsea, uh, sorry, Manchester City fourth on forty four points. And this weekend. Uh, Manchester City it's the Manchester Derby at, in uh, Manchester United at mm. least Sports Village and Arsenal go to Chelsea so the top four are facing each other this week. it's still in, it's still on for wild. United it's still on for them we'll see it could be yeah. could yeah. be um, but yeah go check Counterpressed for for more on that um, today we're going to talk Champions League and maybe a little yeah. bit about the Championship playoff semi-finals just very yeah. briefly mm. um, any other admin? Check theringer.com. Check the study out. Just play us on Spotify. Uh, keep checking the internet in case Moose, Moose has been made a fellow of somewhere else in, <laughs> in the city. <laughs> Listen, if you're not going to flex, I'm going to flex for you. Oh, uh, speaking of flexing, can we talk about what happened when Ian responded to something with a reaction gif of himself oh, in the WhatsApp group? Incredible. We have to talk uh, about this. And, <laughs> Um, it was just like, you know, I said something and Ian responded with the clapping kind of himself, thing. But it was himself. himself. It was one incredible. of those gifts of himself. And I, and I thought that is quite the flex when you can use it, go f- draw for a reaction gift that's actually, Yours. actually you. Yeah, amazing. It's the way the meme goes full circle, isn't it? Incredible work. You have to complete the meme. Yep, yep. Yes. Um, speaking of completing the meme, should we get, go into the Champions League semi-finals? I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's do it after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 
miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. <laughs> so funny, your Achilles, your Achilles heel is segues and mine is analogies. <laughs> um, you say Achilles heel, I say strength, but you know, whatever. Each to their own. Each to their own. <laughs> All right, shall we begin in Manchester? Yes, I think we have to. Uh, Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 1. Uh, sorry. Nil, nil. Real Madrid, Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 0, 5-1 on aggregate. Um, I think this is one of those ones that goes down as being quite comprehensive. Yes. Real Madrid cooked unlike this since the, the semi-final against Milan. Mm. And it's funny because even before and the, the Milan, semi, Milan semi-final in 1989, I think it was, when they lost 5-0, when Milan had beaten 5-0 in the second leg, 6-1 aggregate. And it was weird because even before the scoreline got to that, it felt like that in terms of the dominance. Manchester City from the outset were extraordinary. I actually was re-watching, I watched the game and I re-watched the first half this morning just to kind of process it again because in real time it was, it seemed wild. Mm. After 15 minutes, the stat was, I think City completed oh yeah. 124 passes and Real had completed 13. Yeah, that was, and it felt that was like quite that. bleak. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was, um, it was like watching watching Real Madrid against Manchester City. Mm. It was a bit like a piano. It was like Real Madrid like a piano, a grand piano like flying down a hillside and then someone valiantly tried to push it back up. But it's a grand piano down a hillside. You're not going to stop it. And it, it was just, and you just watched Real Madrid one by one get absolutely trampled by it. You saw, it was almost like they'd studied, of course, like, you know, they, they do the pre-match, you know, the tactics, but, it was almost like they studied the specific areas of rail like building up from or ease pressure. So for example, you know how Luka Modric, for example, he's a very unconventional centre midfielder because he spends a lot of time actually out of the central areas. He spends mm. time left back position, right back in that sort of pocket in the inside right spot near the halfway line. They had hunted down the pressure points of where rail like to play out. It's very unconventional they do it. And they basically got three or four men at any one time blocking off passing angles. It was uncanny to the point where there was like two or three times in the game where players like Kamavinga would look up for an option or Kroos would look square and there would be nothing. Like they'd parked. And look, I know this is basic tactics 101, but even it was like the body shape and the angles of the, of the City players, it was tactically like it was perfection. Yeah. It felt, it felt like that. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of a, a big analogy, because you've got this old, grand old kind of power of European football mm. and this and I think what you're seeing and maybe it's something that we'll touch on or maybe save for the end of the season pods but I think what you're seeing now is finally the full power and strength of the Manchester City project over the last decade you're it's finally just, yeah. seeing now that I think that what where other teams have to regenerate this Manchester City kind of doesn't 
in terms of financial power or replacement. They they recruit really well. Don't get me wrong, but they have the it's. I've seen a lot of stuff this week about people saying whether it's the financial power, and obviously this is in the backdrop of a hundred odd charges from the from mm. from the Premier League, which has gone quiet and will probably resurface at some point. But also having one of the greatest managers of all time and probably still the greatest manager in the world in the dugout. Yeah. This is what happens when you provide probably the greatest person to be in the dugout in the last decade with every single thing that they could ever possibly need around them. Perfect alignment at board level. What I felt watching this was that it almost felt like Manchester City finally worn all of the great old powers of European football down. And this is this is where we're at now. Yes. Like a destruction of someone like Real Madrid, who, caveat, Girona stuck four past them a few weeks ago. So they've not been incredible. This is not even and last Ancel- season. And we'll get into what he did wrong as well, because I think he did it. I looked online last night after the game, and there's just big sweeping judgments everywhere. And I think that you see this quite a lot with football, and I don't really know why I'm talking about <laughs> reactions online in... Mm. You know, what we consider a very serious football podcast. Ha 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 ha. Oh my God. Oh my God. Many others wouldn't. But I, I wouldn't tell you that much. No, I, mean, I wouldn't. Kind of, this is a fucking joke, isn't it? It's a complete joke. It's a catfish it's a, I mean, of a football I mean, it's, podcast. It's, I mean, it's a football podcast. It's ridiculous. It's, not, it's, it's not, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, fact that, the fact that I don't, I don't even know if anyone's listening. If they are, then what are you don't doing? T- don't tempt fate. <laughs> don't tempt um, fate. But also, Real Madrid were not great. A not, a not great Real Madrid extreme, were, were also not very good. And I think Ancelotti made a few key errors in terms of personnel and selection and also mistakes. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, I think what the, the th- there was this this sense of, I mean, I was quite optimistic in our chat before. I was very much just, just <laughs> I think it was more manifest. And I was like, Real Madrid will score. And you were like, from the jump, I'll put this out there so everyone knows, Musa was very much like, I think Real Madrid are going to be cooked tonight before the first, before the, first whistle had even gone um, and how right he was everyone do you know that's I had that why, feeling that's why you get because those it felt like- ships and I, I don't get shit <laughs> it, felt, it felt do you know why I'll just say before jumping in before you continue it felt like um, Germany-Brazil uh, the 2014 semi-final do you know why it felt like that to me because not, not because they were Madrid was scared by the occasion but because Germany basically by the time that 2014 World Cup came around had learned from a succession of agonizing failures at the semi-final stage, horrifying failures. Now I know that Germany had the same kind of core of players a lot of the time, but to stretch the analogy, which is my want, um, to stretch the analogy, basically after all those failures, City had refined and ironed out all the mistakes, all the problems, got the depth mm-hmm. sorted. Got, and, and so by this point, it's like, we've been here before, we're unafraid, we're just going to play our game. And I just think that Rail were unready for that in a way that was quite striking. But yeah, back yeah. to you. I mean, back to, well, back to the, the, let's talk about the, the football side of Manchester City first, because yes. if it wasn't for three of probably the best saves in succession by a goalkeeper that I've seen in a Champions League semi-final, right. this could have been, this could have actually been Germany-Brazil yeah. in 2014. Mm. The two saves in particular that Thibaut Courtois makes in the, first save, in the first half before Manchester City have gone ahead are absolutely incredible. The second one in particular from Haaland, right. from the header. Yeah. Yeah. This save in real time, looked in- unbelievable. And you know how usually slow motion makes saves look not that good because it gives you more time. Yeah. Your brain tricks you into there being more reaction time. This looked even better in slow-mo. Agreed, because there's genuine power on that header. And he actually, 
he flashes. It's almost like, like he flashes his hand at it. He watches it onto his hand. His yeah. reactions are so good. He watches it onto his hand and he gets such a firm set of fingertips to it. Yeah. To brush the, it beyond the post. Yeah. The thing that's incredible, if from the angle behind the goal, the ball has already left Holland's head before Courtois has actually set his feet before reacting. Yes. It is genuinely unbelievable. Like, and as always, the reaction of the players around him says yeah. it all. The Holland's shock. reaction was a bit like, because he'd had that one earlier, hadn't he? Where yeah. Courtois had like, it was almost, it was a really good save, but it was more at Courtois than the second. And Alaba got the clearance, yeah. yeah. When Grealish bursts in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. that second one was almost just like, what the hell do I have to do to get to score a pass? Like, it's going to be one of those nights. Yeah, you could see that look. He was resigned yeah, almost. Because, yeah, Because yeah. remember as well, there were a couple of moments after that, and even after the first Manchester City goal, where Real Madrid got out, and that was the thing that they were really struggling to do in the first 20 minutes. They just could not get out. Not at all. But yeah, the saves from Courtois, that second one in particular, the fact that he knows that the only way he gets to push it around the post is to almost like swing a finger at it. Yeah, yeah. Because Incredible. just getting a finger on it is not going to be not enough. enough. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think one of the best saves I've seen this season. By it's a, unreal. By, by it's a unreal. mile, actually. It's extraordinary. Um, yeah, the context of it, one of the saves this season, but of course wasted because of what came before and after. So the mm. opening goal, you talked actually, talk about segues, a segue to your concern about Rail playing out from the back. Mm. That first goal was all because they couldn't play out of that corner. No. They targeted, and this is, um, you know that thing in the, uh, this is, uh, you know that um, I think that the Republicans do in the US where they take the strength of the opponent and they target it. Mm. So if you're like, if you're revered as a war hero, that actually attack your war record. Rail actually was stronger down the left flank, right? And they targeted, they were like, oh, oh, so Camavinga's good at left back. And they basically went, they overloaded that left side to a horrifying degree. There was, when the, when the ball is actually going, when the ball goes in, so when you have Bernardo Silva basically taking on that double team of Camavinga and Vinicius tucking in the whole time, wearing down that left flank, the right flank, sorry. So by the time the goal comes, it's so clever what they've done. They've basically sucked three Real Madrid defenders or defending players into that corner mm. with Bernardo Silva. He's occupied three players. They play it back and across. And by the time De Bruyne plays it inside for Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva to finish, you've got basically three or four Real players ball watching. It's unbelievable ball movement, the way they get the ball in and out of that gap. And it looks, it's funny because I had to rewatch the goal several times because it looks incredibly simple when Bernardo mm. finishes it. But actually... What Rail have been doing the entire sort of 50 minutes before that goal arrives is basically overloading that corner with double movement. Sometimes Bernardo, um, Bernardo Silva would be there by himself. Sometimes De Bruyne will go in and overlap or they'll play little one-twos. So they're basically like, they're just dragging, they're dragging Rail into all these uncomfortable positions. And what they do really cleverly is they expose Tony Kroos actually. Yeah. Because Tony Kroos in the first, in the previous campaign, the Champions League, he was the key playmaker, actually. He was the mm -hmm. kind of, he was a centre midfielder dropping into a left-back position. And they obviously saw that and studied it and thought, if we can get Tony Cruz to move around in a way that's uncomfortable, we're going to absolutely eat this up. Now, he was fine at home. In fact, he was brilliant for a lot of the first leg, actually. I thought he was superb. But that's at home. Away from home, where the calculus is different, and Rail dropped far too deep, which I think I've got to criticise Ancelotti for, you can't sustain that. You can't sustain that. And paradoxically, even though Cruz is not that athletic, he benefits from being higher up the field in a game like this, I think. The problem that they had, I think, is in, and maybe it's something we come on to after we've talked about the rest of the goals, but it was just, I think this was just um, 
the strengths of Real Madrid and, and Ancelotti becoming their weaknesses in an instant. And this is something that we've seen with quite a few, like the Camavinga into left back situation works for as long as it works, but it will always come to a game where it doesn't. And I think one of the key strengths in making a choice like that is knowing which game that it's not going to work on. And I think that hindsight's an amazing thing, right? We're not managing a team in the Champions League semi-final second leg, but I feel like everything that played out was exactly how you probably would have played it out in terms of uh, uh, patterns of play. Mm. And I think there was actually a way that Real Madrid could have nullified City a little bit I agree. And also highlight and also increase their strengths of playing out because, I mean, Bernardo gets this great goal, cuts inside, um, and and does kind of sends Thibaut Courtois almost the other way. Yeah, looks like he's going to go across goal, pulls it into the top right hand corner. A really really good finish. And then what? Quarter of an hour later, well after that, Tony Kroos hits the bar and yes, with and that great spooks strike. City a little bit actually yeah. because yeah. it shows that they could like Real Madrid are never fully fully dead until they're completely gone. Yeah. Um, and then the second one is a bit of a lucky break, but it's a really clever header from, from Bernardo And the, and the movement from Grealish, who was, out, was outstanding. He was incredible the whole game. He's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. But actually then you go in half time and you think, okay, there was a period just before the second goal, actually. It was much like, like last week. I think probably Real Madrid's best period of the moment. game came before if, a Manchester City if goal. If Carl Walker hadn't been that good on Vinicius, he was brilliant the whole night. Yeah. If he hadn't been that good at recovery tackles and he was outstanding the whole game on Vinicius, yeah, you know, a, a slightly lesser defender and Vinicius gets some joy and there is a goal in there. There's actually a pass that Benzema almost gets on the end of, um, which could have brought a goal back. So until the second City goal, actually, to be honest, that, that, that crucial period was really, really dangerous. But back to your point about Ancelotti, he made some, I think, some, some big tactical mistakes. Here. Okay, so what do you think? Because I have a few, few ones that I think I would have I think, played. I think Valverde should have started as the winger instead of Rodrigo. Yeah, I agree. Um, because actually he wasn't that good in the midfield, but that's not even that. I think he should have started, as you said, started high up in the front three alongside Benzema and um, Vinicius because his pressing is extraordinary. You need that. If you press high up the pitch with those centre-backs, you get a bit more joy and Valverde can stretch a pitch like almost no one else. So that was a big failing, I think, in my opinion. I think Chiromene should have started actually at the base of midfield I think you should have Modric and Kroos either side because we saw in the second half, they were working, the second half of that first leg, they were working that out. They were finding the gaps. And the problem is with Pep, it's like, you know, you look at the NBA, the NBA, the danger in, in the NBA with the playoff series is you play, teams play each other several times in a week. So you get a chance to look at each other and, and spot patterns. And the problem is with not having Trumani in the mix, you allowed Pep to see the patterns how it was going to work. And when they came out in the second leg, they didn't present any new problems. And I think Chiromani presents big problems. No one knew that Modric would have one of the worst games you've seen him have in months. Yeah, but I think that it would have been a big call for Mancholotti to start Chiromani in a game like this. But what I think he could have done was the Rodrigo for Valverde switch, would have, uh, that would have been my pick as well. Because I think that what happens is that Valverde can drop into a deeper role and almost make like a box midfield with Vinicius and Benzema holding up the pitch you know and it gives them Real Madrid just couldn't really build who's and your third midfielder who's your third midfielder I would have actually played Camavinga in midfield and played David Allen left back and played right. um, okay I see that I see that and, and and I would have started Rudiger and Militao as the centre backs I mean, it's I think, funny because I thought Rudiger 
Rüdiger Mittal is actually quite good. Yeah, yeah, but I think Rüdiger and Miller. I think Rüdiger did really well in the first leg. Um, I agree. I think Alaba's experience down that left hand side, I think, would have been. Obviously, hindsight's amazing. We saw how they targeted Kamavinga, and they really did target Kamavinga they in did. that first 20, 25 minutes or so. Alaba's just been there and done it so many times that and doesn't get drawn out and caught so high. No, up. exactly. Yeah. I think he. I think it's. I think it was, I don't think it was obvious because that sounds like I'm, It know, wasn't obvious. It wasn't, I don't, it, wasn't. it wasn't obvious, but I think it was foreseeable. Right. You know, and, and I'm, I'm just a little bit, I'm just a little bit disappointed, I suppose, that Ancelotti looked at the takeaways from the first leg and just thought, yeah, we can actually just beat them how, how we were, how, like basically playing the same way. I thought dropping Rudiger was a huge call. I, I think it was prompted, a huge call. I don't know yeah. prompted it, but I think it was huge. Yeah, it was a huge call, but I think that Militao did pretty well. Um, yeah, but he, he fixed something that wasn't broken. Play out the scenarios from the jump, right? Imagine we haven't seen the game. If you're, if you're going to Manchester and it's one all and it's the second leg of the Champions League semi-final, what is the worst fear? Manchester City going ahead early, right? Because from a purely psychological point of view, most of the pressure is actually on Manchester City, if you think mm. about it. The second leg's at home. They feel like they've got this wave of momentum behind them. The longer that they go without scoring, the more nervy they get, right? In a game right. like this. Yeah. So you have to keep it, but uh, you have to keep it, you have to basically do what you can to stop that momentum. Now, the, I think what would have been amazing was that if Real Madrid could actually get out of their, of their box. And I think that put, moving to Camavinga into midfield, it just felt like, where he's been brilliant in the league, by the I way. mean, well, I mean, when he was switched into midfield later in the game, I know they were 2-0 down at that point, but actually they had probably their best midfield moments. I know they conceded two further goals after that, but they actually had their the best moments of midfield play that they had the whole game. Mm. Um, I know obviously the game state is very different. You're 2-0 down, but I just felt like the problem that Modric and Kroos had was just, they just could not get the ball. And they didn't really have any help in there. And when you're, you're seeing people ping it around you and you're seeing Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and Rodri all around you just playing in triangles and then all of a sudden John Stones is moving up into midfield. That is, you're vastly outnumbered in there. Yeah, it's like six, just, against, six against two. Yeah. And I just felt that even if you couldn't, even if you weren't going to start the game that way, I think you could have made a switch. It would have been a big call because it would have meant you used up one of the subs. But I think making a switch like that and also then having Rodrigo as a, as a weapon to come on in this the second is half now this is, is it. massive exactly. because you looked at the changes that Real Madrid had to make and it was all like, okay, Asensio's coming on maybe, but this only really works when it's nil-nil. To be honest, to be a hot take, Inter Milan actually have more depth off the bench than Real do. In terms of like, in terms of quality drop-off, in terms of drop-off in quality, Inter's actually, Inter Milan have a better drop off, have a better drop off of quality than Real Madrid do. Mm. And the thing about Rodrigo late, exactly that. He was an amazing weapon in the second leg, Champions League second leg, um, last time around. Mm. Whereas if you start him, I mean, you, you saw in the first five minutes of this game before City settled their passing, mm. passing carousel, as Alex Ferguson called it, referring to Barcelona, before they got their passing carousel moving, there was a couple of occasions where City are a bit slack, I think up on the right flank and they lose possession because they get pressed out of, you know, get pressed out of possession. Mm. And you're thinking, see, that's the intensity. Valverde yep. gives you that. And I wonder if, I just wonder if Ancelotti looks at this again and goes, fair play, we could have used that there. And, it, they, the, and these, these to me felt like, they felt like straightforward errors, I thought. 
You're not going to yeah. get much. Yeah. Because that, also that, everyone yeah. expected Pep to be the one who made the weird call in the second leg, right? Yes. And actually... Pep was like, would, this is working. But it, when Pep, I think for Pep, when he saw that lineup, now Man City are probably the best, well, I don't think it's probably, it's definitely, they're the best side in European football at adapting real time to problems facing them yes. in the game. Yes. Because they have, the, they have, like we've mentioned before, they have the, the depth, the squad, the resources, and the um, the manager. The, yeah, like the, mind, the, yeah. the brilliant, brilliant brain in the dugout who can fix stuff real time. Mm. It would have been really interesting to see Ancelotti just throw a spanner in the works a little bit or throw a curveball. Now, I know that's not really Ancelotti's deal, but I feel like he's been around the block enough now to know that a major tweak, he doesn't, no one's, no one's suggesting that Ancelotti should have come out and played three at the back, for example, right? But I feel like slight personnel tweaks within a similar, a similar setup, because I feel like Valverde, when he does occupy that wing position, does tend to drop in a little bit more in midfield and gives them. But then also that helps Carvajal bomb on a little bit if he needs to. I just felt like it would have given Real Madrid a little bit more foundation to get hold of the ball a little bit mm. and just stop that, that momentum. Because the momentum in the first 20, 25 minutes or so was kind of wild. I mean, oh you my mentioned God, we the past in things before. talk about like, Stones and Akanji. Oh my God. Incredible. And then Incredible. Ruben Diaz dispossessing Benzema in a way yeah. that I haven't seen. Benzema dispossessed so easily in the first like 20 minutes in a way that I've not seen for a long time. Mm. There was this sort of thing where there was a mixture of Real players having some of their worst games for ages. There's a pass back that Modric has to crow, so I'm like, that's not the hardest pass to play back. But that's also happening because they haven't had the ball for 15 minutes. So they're almost like they've been running. Like this is the thing, they've been, Real Madrid have been running for 10 minutes. So by the time they get possession, they're not completing simple passes mm. because, you know, we're, 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 even us are bog standard level of football. If you've been chasing the play 50 minutes and you finally it's get exhausting. the ball, yeah, you, you don't, your whole body coordination, everything mm. is messed up. So it looked, Rail were forced to make, to look worse than they were. And you saw how John Stones was liberated through the middle. Mm. So of course, we, and this is actually, this is the most dominant I've seen a Guardiola team since, funnily enough, those Bayern those Bayern days, you know, when he finally mm. figured it out, when, when, he, when Pep finally got Bayern figured out and he basically had at one point, Arturo Vidal was almost playing as a sweeper and you had like 10 Bayern players in the final third. It felt like that. It actually felt, it wasn't so much pressing. It was like claustrophobia. Mm. It was so claustrophobic. Akanji was incredible, high up the pitch. Um, Gundogan was just getting what he wanted, and he's incredible. That backhill for the Holland chance in the second half, which um, Courtois saves and flicks well, saves onto the bar. Yeah, Gundogan's amazing. There's a lot of talk about him going this season at the end of the season, and the weird thing is, Man City will just replace it, and it'll be seamless, yeah. and yeah. no one will bat an eyelid really. But yeah. he has been genuinely incredible for such a long time. I mean, you know, you knew my thoughts about Ilkay Gundogan when he was at Dortmund. You know, Euro, remember, for, Euro for Euro. Yeah, Euro for Euro, arguably Pep's best purchase. For 20 I million euros. So, yeah. 20 million pounds. I mean, bear euros. in mind that this was a guy before he joined, before he left Dortmund, he had that year out with a back injury and he did genuinely didn't know like what, the, yeah. what his career was going to be like. There's the, he couldn't really train. He came back and it, it took him a while. He's, he's so adaptable. He's so just... A king of a king of letting the game come to him, El Kai Gundogan. Never goes searching for it if it doesn't need to be searched for. It's just like the ball will come to me when it needs to, and when it does, I'll just do exactly what needs to be done with it. You know. I mean, I've, I've said this before, but you know that thing about not caring about stats. 
that moment Grealish was really anxious about his numbers and obviously he's a lot calmer about that now. I wonder if at some point Pep just said, look at Gundogan. If it's really about numbers, look at Gundogan. This guy doesn't care. Year in, year out, I could tell Gundogan we need to complete 95% of your passes this year and he'd do it. And I think if you see what, what Grealish has done now and Grealish extraordinary in this game, maybe even, maybe even City's man of the match actually. Yeah, good call. You know, in terms of what he did, he reminded me of, actually this is a bit of a callback, but Sami Nasri. Sami Nasri, the same kind of thing, right-footed player out on the left flank who never lost possession and whose mm. job was basically to re- retain the ball out the pitch and advance the ball. Actually a bit like Mesut Ozil in the um, 2014 World Cup whose primary role was get the ball out of the field, retain possession, everyone catches you up, and then you just build very simply. Mm-hmm. Nothing fancy, no stepovers, nothing, just like one-twos, triangles. And this kind of, you call it the Nasri role, what Grealish did in this game was absolutely spectacular because he occupied one-two players at a time. His choice of pass, his choice of movement was extraordinary. And this is now, this is the player that Pep envisaged the first time he was signed. Mm-hmm. And this is the funny thing. Grealish didn't see it, of course, because Grealish is like, I'm buccaneering, I'm cutting in, I'm banging in the top corner. I'm like, you know, and then Pep was like, no, actually, I want you for something else. And that is why these players are desperate to play for it. That is yeah. why every player of like Premier League quality, any, any league in the world is like, Pep will take, extract things from my talent that I never thought possible. Well, um, Aaron Ramsdale on that recent, on the latest episode of Thing That Ian's done with the Premier yeah. League, um, and he mentioned that Pep said to him, like, you could play in my, my team. Was it when he was at Sheffield United? I think it was. He wow. said that. And, um, and you could see Ramsdale obviously being like, I'm so at Arsenal and I'm happy at yeah. Arsenal. I want to play at Arsenal. But the, it, the power of having someone like Pep just being like, you're amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's few managers in world football command that, that quite that level of respect. I mean, obviously because they do. There are loads of them, but I mean, I think it's different with Pep. It's just something. Everybody it's, it's knows, Ryan. Yeah, he's knows. almost like mythical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He is a genius. Yeah. Yeah, he's a complete genius. Um, and like I say, I feel like so funny looking at this side earlier on in the season that looked quite vulnerable despite having a huge upgrade in Erling Holland and also Julian Alvarez, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be able to bring on Julian Alvarez, Bill Foden and Riyad Mahrez in the Champions League semi-final when you're already like 2-3-4-0 up against Real Madrid is like wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a sign of just how, how difficult it is to stop the side and also actually how probably surprising the wobble was early on in the season. But again, it's, it's a good, it's a sign that, I think we've talked about this before, about how hard it is to win the Champions League. It's a sign that actually probably out of all of the Manchester City teams that Pep's built and despite their slight difficulty in certain areas to figure out full fluidity in the first half of the season, it's only now that they're getting to a point where they're this dominant over the opposition. Well, can I just say, this was in the chat a lot. This was in the WhatsApp chat and basically like people are laughing at Arsenal for not beating this team to the title. I mean, this is... The fact that Arsenal could hang tough with a team of this quality for that long, because this is, you know, this is the best City team I think that Pep has produced so far because it has the most tools. It has the most ways it can actually beat you. Stones skipping forward into midfield and even to work out that you could rely on John Stones, rely, you know, you could rely on him in midfield. That's a huge call. That's incredible. And we've just, we've just taken it for granted that John Stones 
is a centre mid and, you know, stepping past players, playing triangles. We've just taken it for granted. Well, when's the last time an English centre back was converted successfully and reliably? Like a, a main, like a, a starting English centre back was, con- was, was converted yeah. mid career. John Stones is amazing, man. He's an amazing footballer. Yeah. Put his performance this season in the Louvre. In the Louvre. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's the quality that City brought on the field. Extraordinary. Yeah. Best team in Europe. I think that funnily enough, Inter will present an awkward proposition. There's, there's nothing foregone about it. Look, Manchester City should proceed to victory. At the same time, Inter do present some awkward, awkward problems, I think, for Simone them. Simone in a cup final. Yeah. One final thing on this before we move on to the Inter game properly is that, um, well, the Inter against Milan game, is that this was such a combination of Manchester City being absolutely incredible and also Real Madrid being really disappointing in some areas. Like I thought their front front three, for example, were so disappointing. This was the most disappointing performance from Vinicius I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Benzema looked kind of like he knew that he didn't really have much help around and that he wasn't going to get the opportunities that he has done. And Rodrigo was kind of, like we said before, not, it was barely noticeable actually. He didn't like a starter. Yeah, there, was just a few, there were a few times with Vinicius, for example, and I'm surprised about this actually because he's been really good at this this season, losing the ball and just kind of stopping. Yeah, and then Valverde's touch. I mean, not touch, yeah. but some of his passing was very poor. Yeah, the, and and again, like we mentioned, the inability to get on the ball. But I mean, this this Manchester City side, this is probably the, I think this is probably the best I've seen them look this season as well. Yeah, likewise, likewise. You know, all right, let's do uh, let's do the other leg after this. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, so it wasn't a vintage game of football. It was not. But Inter progressed against Milan. Uh, 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 Lautaro Martinez's goal about 15 minutes from the end was enough to clinch it. Um, mm, as soon as Milan didn't score in that opening 10, 15 minutes, was it the Brian Diaz chance really early on? I think I'd go even further. I think it was the Rafael Liao towards half time. Oh, okay. I think that one, the one in Rafael Liao, he basically outmuscles uh, Darmian and mm. then gets into a foot race with Darmian, which ends with predictable results. Mm. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Darmian, I'm sorry. It, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I'm not, not being harsh, but well, maybe a bit harsh. Um, Liao, <laughs> <laughs> Rafael Liao beat Darmian in a foot race and literally every other fullback that's ever played against him being like, first time. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he cuts down the left flank and then hits that, he hits that, he hits that cross shot. Mm. Across uh, Onana, across the far post. Actually, Onana's position is really good. Mm. Um, but I think that Liao, at his absolute peak, gets that in off the post. Like gets that in the inside, the far corner. I think that at that point, 
2-1 going into half time, then I think it becomes dangerous. But on the aggregate. moment, yeah, on aggregate, the moment that that goes wide, I thought that was mm. kind of, it felt like it was done. And even you saw from Liao's reaction, he's like, we're not going to get many of those. Bram Diaz had a good chance, you're right, um, earlier in the game, but I still think the way Milan were attacking, it was kind of in the balance, but that, that failure to execute shut it down. When they got to halftime at 2-0, I was like, no, this is cooked. This is done. The, I think the key thing about the Bram Diaz chance was the reaction of all the other players around him. They like knew. Giroud, Liao. Um, yeah, they're like, you have to score that. Yeah, and uh, Junior, Messias, they all were just a bit like... Well, because this Inter team shit. doesn't give you that many gifts. This is the thing. No. You know, you look at Inter and what they have, they're going to have DeMarco up against Carl Walker in the final. That is a tough proposition because he overlaps really well in that midfield five, really, really well. And he'll present problems that maybe the Camavinga didn't because Camavinga, I think in that leg, was not sure whether to like twist or stick. Um, but in terms of what Inter did in this game, that was impressive. That midfield, Chalanolu, Mkhitaryan, and Barella, it works really hard and it counters really well and it is brutally efficient. Mm. And you have some really good tools, Lartaro and Dzeko there. Lukaku at the moment is one of the most efficient finishers in Serie A being brought off the bench. And seems and to that, really be accepting this, this rotational role. He actually mentioned it in the post-game interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, post-match interview. And I thought that was actually quite, quite cool to hear from, from Lukaku because you totally imagine someone in his position over the mm. last few years would be quite keen to stress that he's the guy. And I feel that accepting this role and he, he just speaks, he always speaks really well from Lukaku. Even sometimes a little bit too well. If anything, he spoke about too well. Yeah, if anything, <laughs> he's speaking too well in that interview with Italian TV when he probably shouldn't do that when he's at Chelsea. But, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk after the game about, how, and just being really frank and open about Inter's position this season, being disappointed in the league, um, not where they want to be at times this season, playing in a different way to how he played in that title winning side and how they've adapted. Obviously, he, it's, uh, they've, they've stuck, I think the Cups have essentially saved Simone Inzaghi because I think he was one game away from being fired. And he's, since then, he's just been, he's just been winning games. <laughs> but also for Inter, getting to the final, I think... Milan would have been a bit all over the place this season. A lot of that top four have been a bit all over the place outside of, well, even Napoli, to be honest, for a side that's walked, essentially walked the league, they've, mm. they wobbled at points. Badly, but I yeah. feel like, you know, this is, this, this, this Milan looks a million miles away from the one that knocked out Napoli. Yes. And you're only a tie later, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a really tricky thing to gauge, I think. And this is why I find the, the, the final interesting. Because Inter are going to set up in a very, very different way and play in a very, very different way and expects the game to go in a very, very different way than a lot of Manchester City opposition at this stage of the competition in previous years, like mm. in the semi-final or final when they played Chelsea that time. It's going to be really interesting to see how Manchester City adapt to that because they obviously have the overwhelming quality to, to win the Champions League now. They're the favourites by a mile. But a lot of people have said that I've written, the match, a lot the of people have written off Inter at various times this year. The Inter matchup is not, to be honest with you, of all the teams they could have played, I think AC Milan gets swept aside just because of exper inexperience and the defence has been so unpredictable. Mm. I think weirdly enough, Napoli might have struggled because of the overwhelming nature of the event. I think that, 
winning for Napoli, you saw from the celebrations of the league title, it was such a big thing for the league after so many years. The emotion, I think, attached mm. is quite a big deal. I think Napoli might have felt a bit like Spurs in the, the final against uh, Liverpool 2019, where the occasion is such a huge thing. And that's not to patronise Napoli, it's more that Napoli have had a very big year, emotionally speaking. Inter, having won Serie A, having been to the Europa League final, and having players who've won, you know, big trophies for Inter and elsewhere. This final's interesting because it's a kind of, um, it's not a large chance saloon, but it's almost, see that 2010 final when Inter came in and they were like, there was a grudge there. There was a point to prove. They've got lots of players in that squad that have a kind of point to prove. Who've been written off. We've had a redemption into players like Mkhitaryan. I mean, Mkhitaryan, I said this before, but Mkhitaryan scoring in the first leg was the grumpiest goal score I've ever seen. And I'm like, this man means, this man, in, in a good way, this man means goddamn business. Uh, he came off injured in this game though. Was in, uh, I, hope he's, uh, I hope he's okay. Well, he's vital for them. He's a really important, because Inter's ability to counter um, is, is absolutely exceptional. It's why Pep will be taking them deadly seriously. Like Pep mm. is probably taking them, of all the people involved in this tie, Anywhere in the world, Pep is taking into the most seriously mm. because he's absolutely aware of the tools they have to hurt. Lautaro has been brilliant for them ever since the World Cup. He's been on a, on a mission. Jekko's hold-up play has been outstanding. Lukaku got the assist for um, Lautaro, which is excellent. And also, he's shown how good he is against a broken field. Mm. And he's really, really good at pulling wide to overload fullbacks who play out. So if you think about Inter's strengths, Inter's strengths match up very well to whatever City's few weaknesses actually are. Or where, yeah, they may where, be able, where, they where, may where be able to it? test. I think, I think the thing that will be interesting for, for Inter is that they are totally fine with having, with Little. essentially feeding off scraps in a football way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And that will, that will cause Pep a little bit of concern going into the game. Like, he will not underestimate Inter's no. ability to no capitalise on a very very small opportunity you know the, and, the, and their ability to break at pace right you know yeah. when Mkhitaryan comes off they bring on Brozovic who has been an amazing has, he's been incredible in that midfield for Inter yeah. over yeah. recent years and yet he's coming he's the one coming on now like Lukaku they're absolute unbelievable they're absolutely unbelievable striker in the title winning year is playing in a rotation role with Dzeko it's Really considering, this, considering this is a side that was in dire financial straits a couple of years ago, mm. and even more recently as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that is the major thing about this run in the Champions League for Inter is just that it could that being over the top, it could literally save them. Like yeah, literally, it could, it could, it could. Uh, and it could if they in fact they've got to the Champions League final. Com- considering some of the other clubs that are around at the moment and their financial situation, the injection of, of money that it will give them, it will just allow them hopefully to compete on a, on a, on a level. And this is, we've talked about this and I felt like we talked about this numerous times on Stadia before about how like, this is the bad thing about the financial might of the Champions League and how much separation it causes, but also mm. how ne- necessary it is. Like it would be, Financial parity would be so great in football a little bit more. So you could, so genuinely just the actual like sporting will, if that yeah. makes sense, yeah, of will, course. will yeah, get yeah. you there. You know, it, it shouldn't like, 
I know that obviously it's down to owners a lot of the time as well and, and states of the and conditions of the league, but it shouldn't take into getting to a Champions League final in 2023 for them just to like be like, oh, phew, right, cool. Okay, we're all right now. Yeah, this has been a real Hail Mary for them, this yeah. campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Milan, slightly disappointing, but I feel like this was kind of symptomatic of their season, really. You know, it's funny, Real Madrid and AC Milan both produced second leg performances that pretty much were symptomatic of their second half of the season. Yeah. Like they weren't yeah, a massive yeah. surprise. If you look at their league form, you're like, actually, you could have predicted this from the league form. You even joked mm-hmm. in the group, they conceded four to Girona, Real Madrid, and that kind of wasn't that far off in terms of performance they produced. And I think AC Milan as well, we saw them, you know, have a bit of a resurgence the last couple of months. But really, I mean, they were so bad post-World Cup that there was talk about Pioli losing his job. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Um, just a quick shout out for Andre Onana and Mike Magnon in this Money game Mike. because yes. both of them made some unbelievable saves. Yeah. Um, Money Mike. I'm biased, but it's the best nickname in football. I know, right? And <laughs> you know what's great about it? Everyone calls him Magic Mike, but we don't, so we call him we Money don't. Mike. Money Mike. <laughs> Do you remember the first, the first Money Mike moment on the show when he I was the funkiest goalkeeper in the world because he loves to get down? <laughs> <laughs> Money Mike's the only goalkeeper to ever be backed by the JBs. (laughs) 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 Oh, what a silly podcast. Anyway, right. Manchester City against Inter will be the Champions League final on June. Old school versus the new. I know. First time they've ever met competitively. No. Yeah. Wow. Um, Some other football quickly. Luton Town and Coventry City will face off in the championship playoff final for a spot in the Premier League. That's amazing. Obviously, the the amazing things about these playoff semifinals in the championship were that any one of the four clubs getting back into the Premier League would have been amazing. Middlesbrough and Sunderland, the two sides to be knocked out, which if you think about it, all four clubs, the journey that all four clubs have been on that's the word I was going to use, the journey. Oh the my journey goodness. The journey is incredible. The journey that Luton Town and Coventry City were nearly gone. Oblivion. Uh, yeah. Mark Robbins has done such an incredible job over the last few years there. Um, something we'd love to talk about in a little bit more depth another time, but Luton Town against Coventry City in the playoff final is such an amazing final. Do you know what was really good? Mm. I think in terms of uh, Luton Town Sunderland on Tuesday was a miles better game than that second leg of the Inter <laughs> <laughs> against Milan. Can I just say uh, very quickly about Luton? I've probably told the story in the podcast, so sorry if I'm boring listeners. But so, but when I went to interview that time, I was when I wrote um, when I was working on my second book uh, years ago, I think in 2010. I went mm. and I was doing a book on great managers, and I went to interview Mick Hartford the same week that Luton played Grimsby at the bottom of the football league. And Luton had 30 points deducted. And Mick Harford was like, kind of like, almost like, why the hell are you here? And I was like, well, because the book is about great managers and it's not just about managing at the top of the league. Great managers are those who basically make the best of their resources, retain optimism and gratitude for what they've achieved thus far and basically like keep the community together. And Mick Harford, you know, obviously Luton legend, managing Luton with so much dignity at the bottom of the league, trying to pull them back. And I remember just, I went to Kenilworth Road actually and um. I think Luton won that game. It was 2-1 uh, that, that night, Wednesday night, I think. But just remember thinking, what a great club. You know, this is a club that finished sixth in the first division in the year they couldn't get into Europe because of mm. the European ban, uh, the Europe-wide ban. 
Luton were denied European football. And then to see them at the bottom of the fourth division as they were at that time, and just thinking of how a great club had fallen so far. For me, on a personal level, it's just really nice to see them back because seeing you know them at the time, talking to some of the supporters that night, uh, talking to Mick Harford that week, I don't know, it's quite, uh, emotional is a strong word because I'm not emotionally attached to Luton, but if there were ever clubs I could have mentioned off my head that I would actually wish the best for, they'd definitely be one of them. Um, yeah. And Coventry, I feel similar too, just because yeah. of you know, their own history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember the days of them being in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dear, dear friend, Coventry fans, so I'm um, be rooting for them as well on the big day. Nice, man. Well, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay fully impartial because uh, that's what we do on Stadio. I'll do my whole may the best team win, which is what I truly mean. But yeah, let's go with that. One final thing. Ivan Tony's been banned for eight months because of his placing bets. I don't know what Ivan Tony has done here. It doesn't suggest that he's betted on any games that he played in. Mm. But, and, you know, footballers should know the rules. But I think if you look at some of the bans that have been given out for, say... How do I say this? Can I say this as well? And not, not just, not just um, how do I say this gen- delicately? So interesting to see profound consequences for individuals and not clubs. Given the scale of alleged wrongdoing, it's very interesting. And it's very interesting to see what types of conduct are punished. Yep. Like, that, that, that is a, and how you know, swiftly, though, they were punished. Yeah. We're talking, I mean, there's allegations like in, in, in the wind about individuals and clubs at the moment. Mm of a very severe nature. And I'm just saying, if you're going to come down on this, absolutely, then save this energy, reserve this same energy for all the stuff that's floating around. It, that, that's what I would say. Just Boy, keep there's the same a lot of stuff. All of it. Yeah, keep the same energy for all of it. Um, we have to leave it there for today. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house on Friday with Ian, Florence, myself, Chris oh, Ryan. Chris Ryan. Doing so much fun, man. So oh, much fun. Oh, I can't wait to have Chris Ryan on Wright's house. It's going to be so good. I might boycott it because I get FOMO, to be honest. Just I'm like, do I don't it, want man. To Just will. Boycott, like, I'm boycotting it. You come on the podcast. You come on the podcast. Everyone come on the podcast. <laughs> we'll get Will Poulter back in. <laughs> Can I throw this out there? Can I do a bit of um, a bit of FOMO shaming? I think this is my hot take. Who are you going to FOMO shame? I think Will Poulter is really keen to get back on Wrighty's house. I reckon if, I reckon, is I reckon he? it's like, I re- no, no, I actually just, just, he's such a cool dude, right? But I reckon if like, if Ian was like, oh, Will, do you fancy getting back on? He'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah. But actually, no, no, play it cool, play it cool. <laughs> Interesting. That's my hot take. Wow, you just throwing Will Poulter under the bus unnecessarily. <laughs> Poor guy, he's not even here to defend himself. And he's on crutches. <laughs> wow, you really are a mean old man. I mean, it's not quite good. <laughs> Listen, they can't find me. Uh, if anyone wants to find him, just I'll I'll let you know where he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually surprisingly easy to find. That's true. <laughs> just someone says someone actually wrote to me and said, "Oh yeah, um, they'll never find me." Two weeks later, like ever bumps into you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my goodness! All right, so anyway, go check right his house on Friday, and uh, make sure you check Counter Press as well. Check all, all the other great stuff on theringer.com and uh, check the Stadio Archers place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on. Cheryl Glasgow, glued to the spot. Because uh, some of those Real Madrid players were glued to the spot last night, am I right? <laughs> no? <laughs> Too tenuous? 
Oh my goodness. Too tenuous? No? You have to keep it and listen. Okay. I'm in, well, I'm in no position to judge. Listen. I, me of all people, too tenuous analogies. Listen, I can't judge. I can't judge. Yeah, listen. I mean, after some of the shit that you've come out with in how many episodes are we on now? I mean, <laughs> I think true. I'm owed a few. Someone sent me a list of them. Like, I'm escalating. So, <laughs> the season cannot end soon enough, frankly. Oh, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a topic for another time, but I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. we are tired. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, anyway let's get out of here have a lovely weekend everyone much love and we'll be back with you on Monday that's it see you then